So the month of June is upon us. School is almost over and we're about to enter the summer season of travel and vacation. Meanwhile, candidates for political office are already on the campaign trail. As we all know, next year is a presidential election year. Things are already heating up for this. As many of you know, I am a native of the state of Iowa. I give thanks to God I do not live in the state of Iowa because of all of the political ads that saturate radio, TV, print, every other media outlet. Iowa, as you know, is the first state to hold a presidential caucus. So all of those ads start very, very early and they go on and on and on. They are everywhere. Family members who live in Iowa sort of learn to tune all of this out, navigating it as best they can, but really it is overwhelming, as we know from our own experience here. And yet for good or for ill, this is how our political process works. What is lacking at present in our life as a nation is unity. The political divides among us seem really as big as the Grand Canyon and the hoopla of an election year will only magnify this all the more. What I am looking for, what I want to know is who are the repairers of the breaches among us? Who are the people who will be sewing the torn fabric of our life together? Who are those people who will be doing that? Where is the unity in our United States? He didn't come here to listen to a campaign speech. That's not what this is. It is a sermon. But we as Christian citizens of this United States cannot bury our heads in the sand and pretend that if we avoid it, it'll all just go away. This is a call for us to remain informed and involved in that political process. Research indicates that people are increasingly choosing where they will worship, if they worship at all, based on their politics, not on theology or doctrine or teachings of the faith. So is that what all of this has come to? Though unity may be sorely lacking in our nation at this particular point in time, we are citizens of this nation. We are Christians, and it behooves us to be informed and involved. Unity. That is what Jesus speaks of in the gospel lesson for today. Not political unity but spiritual unity that flows out of Jesus' own unity with the Father. We have a celebrated Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday this past Thursday. We rejoiced in his ascension into heaven where he lives and reigns to all eternity from which he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And until then, Jesus 
prays that we may all be one, even as he is one with the Father. Unity, that is the theme for the message this day. May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching and the hearing and the living of his word for Jesus' sake. At this service this morning, we have the high privilege, the joy once again of celebrating the Lord's Supper as Christ, the risen and ascended Christ, comes to us to bestow on us the gifts which only he can give of forgiveness and life and salvation under the earthly forms of bread and wine Jesus himself gives us his very body and blood that we may be strengthened and built up in faith toward him and in unity of love toward one another. Whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed, which dates back nearly 1,700 years to the Council of Nicaea in the year 325 AD. Part of this confession reads, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And yet when we look around at the church today, we may struggle to see that unity for which Jesus prayed. There are so many divisions, so many denominations within this one holy Catholic and apostolic church. It can all be rather confusing. Different denominations say different things. At times they seem to be almost at war with one another. If the gospel is being compromised, perhaps this is warranted. But at other times, we seem bent on emphasizing the things that divide us rather than the things that unite us. Where is the unity for which Jesus prayed? When all is said and done, our unity does not come through formal pronouncements, external structures, or visible organizations. The unity we have in Christ comes through the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As Paul writes in the book of Romans, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is what transcends all of the denominational boundaries. This is the invisible church made up of believers of every time and place who call upon the name of Jesus for forgiveness, life, and salvation. This is where unity begins. Note that opening verse in today's gospel lesson where Jesus in a portion of his high priestly prayer in John 17 prays these words. I do not ask for these only, namely his first disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 
all those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. <laughs> That's me. Jesus is here praying for all of us, every believer in every time and place who has come to know that saving grace of God in Jesus Christ, that spiritual unity, that joy, that peace which passes all understanding that has come down to us today through those first disciples, the apostles. Not once, <clears throat> not twice, but three times in that gospel lesson, Jesus prays that they may all be one. So if Jesus prays for that repeatedly as he does, we ought to sit up and pay attention. There is a sense of fervent urgency in Jesus' prayer for his followers. Do we, as followers today, have that same sense of urgency that we may all be one, as Jesus prayed? Are we praying that same prayer today, that we may be one even as Jesus is one with the Father? I suspect this has fallen off our radar in the midst of a myriad of other things in life. And yet, as Jesus told Martha, who was preoccupied with a myriad of other things, there is one thing that is needful. Isn't it amazing? In the midst of all of the digital communications, instant messaging, all the connections we have, how we can sometimes be oblivious to what's happening in the world around us, down the street, around the world, including what's happening with fellow believers around the world. Several weeks ago in London, the Archbishop of Erbil in Iraq, the Right Reverend Bashar Warda, spoke to English Christian church leaders. He warned that Christians in Iraq face extinction after seeing a dramatic fall in members from around one and a half million members at the end of Saddam Hussein's reign in 2003 to just 250,000 today. The Archbishop said that Christianity in Iraq, one of the oldest churches, if not the oldest church in the world, is perilously close to extinction. And those who remain, he said, must be ready to face martyrdom. Those are sobering words. He said that their tormentors had sought to wipe out their past and destroy our future. <clears throat> Excuse me. In Iraq, he says, there is no redress for those who've lost properties, homes, businesses. Tens of thousands of Christians have nothing to show for their life's work, for generations of work, in places where their families have lived for thousands of years. The archbishop criticized Christian leaders in Britain 
and I would say by extension, Christian leaders throughout the West over their response to this crisis, suggesting they were too afraid to condemn extremism because of political correctness and accusations of Islamophobia. His words are these, will you continue to condone this never-ending organized persecution against us? When the next wave of violence begins to hit us, will anyone on your campuses hold demonstrations and carry signs that say we are all Christians? Friends, we may be facing our end in the land of our ancestors. We acknowledge this. In our end, the entire world faces a moment of truth. Will a peaceful and innocent people be allowed to be persecuted and eliminated because of their faith and for the sake of not wanting to speak the truth to the persecutors, will the world be complicit in our elimination? How do we answer the Archbishop? How do we respond to fellow believers in persecuted places like Iraq, where places of worship, churches are routinely bombed and burned? What do we say? Jesus' prayer that they may all be one reminds us that these are our brothers and sisters in faith. Like us, they too are people for whom Jesus suffered and died and rose again. And flowing out of the grace which God has given to us all in holy baptism, this means that we are indeed our brothers and our sisters keeper. Friends, unity is not something which we can force or coerce. If it is, it is artificial and short-lived because it does not come from the heart. The unity which our crucified, risen, and ascended Savior came to bring does not begin with us. It begins with that oneness which the Savior has with the Father and, as we will celebrate next weekend, with the Holy Spirit poured out on Pentecost. Friends, through the amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ, which is a present reality in our lives through word, through sacrament, we are called to love one another as Christ has loved us, serving one another as Christ has served us. And when this happens, Jesus' words are realized in our lives 
I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. May God make it so for Jesus' sake. Amen. And the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, your spirit, your soul, and your body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.